Good day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's our Friday wrap segment, which, John, I feel like we haven't done it for a while, actually. <laughs> it's been a week or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very I, I exciting. Say, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's good. I think, um, you know, it's always good to come back to the to the numbers and, and see what's really happening to the Australian property market, right? And, uh, and to go through some figures together. So anyway, how are you today? I'm very good. Second day of spring, uh, which is which is very exciting. I'm I'm definitely ready for summer. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that the weather is turning and um, all is well. All is well. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good. We're just starting the spring, and you're thinking about summer, mate. Come on, the spring oh, market no, no, hasn't no. even sprung. <laughs> I'm an optimist, mate. I'm an optimist. Good one, mate. Love your optimism. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, that's uh, we got the we got the latest core logic data for August. So I reckon you know mm. we'll just uh, we'll just go through at high level first to give our listeners a bit of um, context in terms of what's really happening. Uh, as at 31st of August, uh, and then I guess we'll, we'll dive into a bit more into houses versus units and that kind of stuff and, and, and drill specifically into different cities. Okay, so um, August figures doesn't look that promising, unfortunately, but that's kind of expected because, you know, we've had some very, very uh, fierce interest rate rises in the last couple of months. You know, obviously the RBA is doing what they need to do to put the inflation fire out of, uh, yeah, which is currently under out of control yeah um and therefore you know we're seeing pretty much on a city to city basis everyone had a negative month except for darwin i think darwin was the only outperformer which had a 0.9 percent in august and that's an increase sydney had a minus 2.3 percent melbourne minus 1.2 Brisbane minus 1.8%, which is actually higher than Melbourne. Um, so the downturn is being sharper mm. there. Adelaide pretty much flat, minus 0.1. Perth minus 0.2. And Hobart minus 1.7, as well as Canberra minus 1.7. So everyone's kind of going, you know, we we, we did, uh, I know last month, I think uh, Adelaide and Perth are still on a positive figure, but now they're starting to swing around as well. Whereas the magnitude of the other cities in terms of the downstream is a lot stronger, led by Sydney at the yeah. moment, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, yeah. But I think it's, it's also important to point out from an annual perspective, though, because, you know, if you look at month by month, a lot of times it just gives you that micro picture. But if you look at from a quarter or annual perspective, from a Sydney perspective, on an annual, we're only losing 2.5%. So we're pretty much just, you know, we haven't actually lost that much from that from that perspective, right? And if you look at Brisbane, the annual was actually 17.5% gain. So, you know, if you bought mm. a year ago, you would have still, as of today, you would have made 17.5% on average. I mean, this is talking yeah. about on average, right? Yeah. And Adelaide, 21.8%. So if you look at an annual figure, basis most of the cities are still positive in other words if you bought 12 months ago you would have still made money today except for sydney and melbourne which is currently about minus 2.5 percent but it's not the end of the world john what are your thoughts yeah no i I agree i think you know in the short-term data even even quarterly let's say is Mm. it's a pan sell-off like it's all the capitals are coming down you mentioned darwin but that's still flat i mean so all the markets are down and and uh, and then the annual data becomes slightly more nuanced and a little bit more interesting because then you go, okay, well then we have a big, our biggest problems are in Sydney and Melbourne. But even then we're talking about 2%, which is, which, and we're not, we're not, you know, the declines aren't done yet. There's still more to go, but it gives you some nice, uh, nice context. Um, 
so uh, you, you know what what i find interesting is uh, and it sort of ties into our um our video podcast from two weeks ago which talks about what, where the real uh, you know over and under valuations are and i think um this is peak bad news for sydney that doesn't mean that it's not going to go down but we're not going to outperform the other markets to the downside i think going forward I think that the, the two markets you've got to watch from a bad news perspective going forward are going to be Hobart and Brisbane. And I think that the two markets you're going to look at that are going to continue to uh, overperform and do quite well are going to be Perth mainly and to a lesser extent Adelaide. I think there's still some gas in the tank in Adelaide. But I, I, I feel like we're, we're peak bad news for Sydney. But the, the, these are, look, Sydney down 2.3% for overall dwellings. Um, is it's pretty sharp. It's a pretty sharp correction, um, and um, you know this is as bad as declines get on a monthly basis, really. So there's you know no real good news, but we're trying to sort of contextualize it and you know push that into uh, you know put that into sort of uh, expectations going forward. Yeah. Uh, what I would what I would uh, say is if we look at the house versus unit split that that's where it actually becomes quite interesting because this is mainly a pan sell off in houses uh so to give you an idea um to take sydney for example sydney overall dwelling values were down i think 2.3 uh, percent but that's 2.6 percent down for houses and, and 1.5 percent down for units if we look at brisbane uh, overall down 1.8 percent but it's over two percent down for houses and basically flat for units. So if we look at most of the markets, actually most capital city unit prices actually went up uh, or at least half of them went up. I'm trying to think because, for example, Adelaide's up over a percent and uh, and so on, even though their overall dwelling prices are down. So this is obviously it's everything, but it really is very much a house price decline. And I, th I think what's happening is we're, we're having to go through a period of yield normalization. So the yield in a, for a Sydney house is still quite low at 2.6%. I mean, that's pretty low, whereas you can get 3.5% yield on a unit in Sydney. And so I think until the yield come, sort of starts to tie in a bit more to lending rates, we're going to see the market uh, come down. What, what are your thoughts on that house versus unit um, split? Yeah, look, I, I do agree. And if you if you consider like, you know, the 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 actual boom that we had in the last twelve months, also in Sydney in particular, mainly houses, right? I don't think mm. the units have actually gone up much. You know, units haven't actually increased ah. much at all. If you're talking about that way, so um, it, it's it's really like if you think about, you know, that's that that amount of growth is not sustainable in such a short period of time and therefore at some point in time it's going to have to come back a little bit and that's what we're seeing at the moment we're just going back into more of a normal cycle right so yeah. um yeah so it is it is a lot uh, and also just before we jump on the podcast you know we're talking about how much money there is and how much money has <laughs> been printed so the amplitude of these uh, of these changes have been magnified you know, and we're talking about, you know, this, these type of trends have happened before, but it's just not at these type of amplitudes, um, just because of the previously, you know, there hasn't been so much QE, there hasn't been so much money flowing in the market. Um, we haven't had a record interest rate down to literally 0.1% um, from the cash rate perspective. So people were able to borrow. And when people are able to borrow, they will continue to push the prices up. 
And now things are normalizing a lot more. Um, you know, with the with the rate starting to go back, creep up to, to the normal level, with uh, RBA started to tighten uh, in that perspective as well. So you know, it's that's why the 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 amplitude of these trends are coming down and showing most mostly on the houses because that's where most of the money have gone into in the last 12, 24 months. So that's the way I read at it. But I'm surprised to see how quickly Brisbane is losing heat though. That's that's the thing, you know, for houses actually like I think last month it was it was close to one percent. And now this month, houses alone is minus two point one percent. That's dropping. And that's and that's has that has actually exceeded what Melbourne's house drop is. Melbourne uh, Melbourne only had one point five, minus one point five percent, whereas Brisbane's two point one. So you know, to a degree, I think you know um, Brisbane is yeah. It's an it's an interesting market to watch, I guess, moving forward. Um, because you know, from a context perspective, and you know, the the annual growth has been very very stellar. But does that mean it's also going to come back quite quickly? I wonder. So, well, who knows? Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't. I think it takes brave a brave person to say that. You know, it's going to come back quickly. I, I personally am. You know, every every month where the property price goes down should be a month where everyone gets slightly more optimistic because yeah. these the things do turn around. And you know, the what do they say? The, the illusion of permanence is the uh, <laughs> error that every that everyone makes. So that, this doesn't happen forever. Um, interestingly, we we mentioned uh, uh, units outperforming because because um, two two things, and we'll get to rents a bit later. But unit rents are way outstripping house rents at the moment. Now, part of this is just a catch up, but but that's an interesting point. The other interesting thing is uh, just in the news this morning, they increased the uh, permanent migration intake mm. uh, by 35,000 to give or take 200,000 permanent um, wow. people per year. That's, that's a big number. It's a big number. Big number. You know, um, most European countries don't have that, that sort of permanent migration per year. So it's a, it's a big number. Um, now, for, for, as property investors, that, that goes mostly into rents first and mostly into units first. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch as well. So you reckon because of that policy change, um, there's going to be more people coming in into this great country. There's going to be a lot more demand pushing the rental prices up even to the next level, isn't it? Yeah, yeah everyone's going to have to. Everyone's going to have to find a place to live. And when they initially land, they want to try out things. So, you know, they'll rent, rent somewhere first to see where's the area. And then eventually yeah. they'll look at buying once it's settled down. True. And construction approvals are crashing at the moment. So I don't have the, mm. the exact data point in front of me, but it's not like they're, uh, you know, they're, they're green lighting these new units to get built. So it's, it's, it's going to just tug on existing supply. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll come to rent a, l- a little bit later. But um, what, one thing just to quickly touch on is like where if, if we sort of, and we'll, we'll we'll have a look at some sort of pre and post COVID numbers, but just in terms of like where where are the gains, who are the winners and who are the losers from a a, a geographic perspective, and and just to give you like kind of the twenty second spiel on that, the the parts of Sydney and I'll speak to Sydney now that are doing the worst are the northern beaches in particular and the eastern suburbs, and to a lesser extent the inner west. So mm. you, you might describe these areas as the more affluent parts of Sydney. Are doing the worst. So Northern Beaches is the, 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 the suffering the most, followed by the inner west, followed by the eastern suburbs, which is quite interesting, and followed by the, the North Shore after that. Um, what I would, in terms of what's doing the best, uh, the best part of Sydney or the, the most resilient part of Sydney would be that sort of inner southwest or what we, you know, the Bankstown area. So Bankstown's doing pretty well, that, that, that's up. Um, the other parts of Sydney that are doing well is sort of the 
the sort of areas towards the, the Blue Mountains and also uh, parts of Liverpool. So everywhere else is kind of flat, to be honest. Um, now, this is a pan sell-off, and, and I, I think this data is slightly old, but interesting to see, as a general comment, what, what parts of Sydney are um, doing the best, and the best is Bankstown, and the worst is the northern beaches. Which is, which is quite interesting mm. when you think about it that way, right? Um, the affluent, you would have thought that the affluent suburbs would be able to hold up better in these times but apparently not so and maybe is that due to competition is that because of so much competition previously in the last 12 months with all the fear of missing out with all the FOMO you know everyone wants to get in everyone wants to get into good affluent suburbs but now people are kind of more sitting on the fence and therefore the steam's lost out so demand buyer demand has dropped sharply and therefore those areas are also correcting a lot quicker yeah I think it's just a, a the, the areas that outperformed in 2021 when we were sort of popping champagne and it was boom time drinking the punch um <laughs> the spiked punch as it turns out <laughs> uh was um uh was the, what they call the upper quartile so that meant yeah. houses um and you know expensive areas like the northern beaches and manly and those sorts of places um so uh, and Bankstown, to be fair, didn't really. I mean, you know, it went up last year, but it didn't have the, the the same sort of boom. So I would say that the reason that there's that geographic split is, in a sense, the same reason why we have that house and unit split, uh, because it, it is deflating the the, the 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 sort of most exaggerated parts of the bubble, which was upper quartile, and um, mm. and, and uh, yeah, it's just sort of the complete opposite of last year. To yeah, something. yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. The higher you the, the higher you get on, the quicker that and the more that you will fall as well yeah. to a degree, isn't it? So yeah. that's probably why that's reflecting those numbers. <laughs> well, I think you, it's good that you touched on um, you know to give to give people a bit of perspective about the COVID period, um, you know, because I think we got some interesting data here in terms of the actual COVID trough to peak growth, and I think that these these numbers are going to give people really a bit of, a good perspective in terms of what's really happening. So. Um, so just looking at it, you know, from a, we're talking about capital cities first, we'll cover that first. So from a Sydney perspective, the COVID trough to peak growth was about 27.7% and the decline from peak to date is about 7.4%. So what we're talking about here is if you compare a pre-COVID period till now, um, people would have still made about 20% gain as of today obviously there could be more room to, to to drop right in the next few months but if you put into that kind of perspective and COVID took roughly what say two years say about two years almost two years now i'd say um around the time then it's pretty much 10 percent per year per annum it's not bad john i don't think i'll be pretty happy with that kind of roi <laughs> be happy with that as well yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Um, and Melbourne, okay, so Melbourne COVID trough to peak 17.3% and the decline from peak at the moment is minus 4.6. So that would still made a pretty stellar, yeah. a good 12%-ish gain. Brisbane and Adelaide are the outstanding performers, as we have always touched on. Brisbane's COVID trough to peak growth is 42.7%. And <laughs> so far, they've just started to swing. So therefore, the, the decline from peak at the moment is minus 2.6. So in other words, that would be made 40% as at today or as at this month. Adelaide is the same, 44.7% and a decline from peak of minus 0.1. So that's still very, very good. Um, 
Should we still cover the rest, John? <laughs> no, I think I think the message is, is quite clear that like yeah, the, when you start to annualize this data, it doesn't look so bad. And it, and then if you go back more than one year, the 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 gains are still quite quite pronounced. So mm. if, if you bought in twenty twenty, you, you're still up twenty percent. Twenty twenty was like yesterday, right? Um, and if you if you bought a year ago, you're only down two percent in Sydney now. Markets are going to continue to shift. They're probably going to shift lower. Got all that, but but interestingly, I th I think that we we sort of get trapped in this permanent present tense. To quote George Orwell, uh, and and he 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 sort of this this present tense is like market moving down. Therefore, everything bad. It's like okay, well. If, if you're older than, you know, 18 months old, which is <laughs> everyone listening to this podcast, you know, you, 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 these, these are just peaks and troughs and um, you can smooth it out if you look at annual data. So I, I would encourage us to all uh, look at annual data mm. or at least at least keep one eye on the annual data. Otherwise, you're, you're going to panic yourself into an early grave. So uh, just, yeah. So, so everyone who, who bought before... I mean, for the people who bought, let's say November, they're down. Uh, for for most other people, it's flat to slightly down. And if you bought in before twenty twenty one, you're up. Which that's is right. People, yeah. 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 Exactly. So that's why we've always been saying, you know, with property, it's just it, it needs to be a longer term game, right? Like, you know, you yeah. bought early, and now you look at okay, well, sure, it has come down, but do you know what? It doesn't, it's not going to, you know, I'm not selling it or, you know, as long as you're not selling, as long as you're not taking equity or needing to do a valuation mm -hmm. at the moment, the sky is not falling basically. So to, yeah. that, to that degree, if you hold a long-term perspective, which is what we always advocate on this podcast, you know, it, even just from the last annual, uh, like a 12 months figures that we spoke about, you know, you still got a pretty stellar uh, figure uh, in terms of increase. Mm -hmm. And, who knows what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months as well, right? So, you know, I think the monthly data can be quite, um, I'd say, misleading, uh, put it that way. And that's why the annual trends and the yearly trends and are, are the ones that, as you said, should be the one that we focus on more because that really tells us the true narrative uh, in terms of what the actual price growth is. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, it comes back to, you know, we, we talk about... Um, the real value is in what you own, not you know what what you paid. Yeah. So if you're buying quality assets, they, the, the, that value will reassert itself, and um, that that's the the main thing. And the other thing to say, and this always comes out sounding very harsh, and I don't mean it to, but if if like one year's worth of sort of price data is going to bother you, maybe property investing isn't for you. You know, yeah. there are there are other options, but I think that you you do have to sort of be aware of your own risk tolerances and. And you've got to be okay with prices going up and down. Otherwise, there's no point in bothering. Uh, imagine if, uh, if if people was already trouble with the one-year data, how they're going yeah. to cope with the likes of shares or commodities yeah. or even Bitcoin, right? That's like fluctuating in hours or even minutes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not even talking about months or years. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? The, the other way to look at this is, you know, we all look at like a past generation. Let's say we take the baby boomers who bought their house in like 1983 yeah. and they, they paid, let's say, $20,000 and that place is worth $1.5 million now, right? There were years where those people were losing money in real estate. Mm. Yeah. And they just yeah. stuck with it and, you yeah. know, and that'll happen to people who are buying today as well. There'll be bad years and there'll be good years, but, you know. That, oh, those, they, yeah, they, I mean, those big gains uh, are handed to people who are patient enough to stick Correct. it out. 
yeah, it's the patience basically. And like like we always said, it's probably the the ten year plus type of real compounding. That's when it when that's when it kicks in, right? When that compounding growth kicks in, that's where the real magic happens. Um, and and totally, you know, there will be years where there will there will the prices will continue to go down. You know, people will have really low sentiments. That's just part and parcel of investing, to be honest. But you know, like ignore the noise you know basically buy good buy good property keep it for long term um you know in in the long run it's it seems to be it's always been on the upwards trend that's that's based on the historical data that's been telling us that so anyway i think we uh we we, we digressed a little bit there but uh, <laughs> that's pull back oh, a bit uh yeah yeah no but that was good that was that was good discussion though i gotta say so good to get that out of the way uh, so in terms of in terms of supply, so supply is um, supplies down from the peak fairly sharply, but actually supplies up from the previous year. So the supply, the number of homes available for sale, are eleven percent higher than the previous uh, this time last year, and that's across all all the capitals. But as I said, supply actually really came down from November twenty one. Um, there's more supply compared to last year. But there's less supply compared to all the years before that, which is, you know, 2020, 2019, 2018, and so on. So th th there isn't a lot of stuff out there to buy. Now, the interesting thing is that actually not so much supply, but it's the number of sales. So the number of sales have crashed. Um, it, overall for Australia, the number of the number of sales, the number of transactions, the number of houses being bought and sold is down 15% uh, on the prior year. But that includes Sydney being down 35%. So that's the real crash in the market. The real crash in the market is things aren't selling. Mm -hmm. So the number of uh, sales are down minus 35%. And then if you layer in the price decline, so the prices are down, say, 7%, that uh, means that the, the size of the real estate market is down about 42%. That, that's my own joining of the dots. Uh, Canberra, the number of sales uh, is down 19% and Melbourne is down 17%. So this is the, the interesting, the reason why the number of sales is so important is because um, at the moment we can see that there's just a, 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 a kind of a collapse in buyer demand that, you know, everyone's going to, property open for inspections. There aren't any buyers there. However, when we look at the property, the core logic data, you know, the Sydney prices are down 7%. So why could there be no buyers and only a sort of a high single digit decline in prices? And the reason is, is for there to be a decline in prices that registers with core logic, there needs to be a sale. Mm. And what's happening is um, auctions are passing in, properties are being withdrawn. Um, properties just aren't selling. And if they're not selling, the prices aren't going down. <laughs> so, so that that's that's the interesting thing. Listings are actually slightly up, but then it's not going to be, I don't think, a bumper spring. But the main thing is that the number of sales is down, and, and what you'll see is supply will dry up until the supply and the demand matches. And mm. I, I don't, you know, when will that be? I have no idea. Do you think spring the the, the number of stocks is going to come back up a bit more during spring? Not really. Not this year. Not this year. I, I just think, look, this, this is all the fallout from COVID, right? It's the, well, it's more precisely, it's the fallout from the response to COVID. So I think it's just going to take a couple of years for supply and demand across all parts of the economy, but supply and demand in the real estate market just to sort of re 
kind of get its bearings back. Mm. So I don't think I don't think that we're going to see a normal spring. Um, and I I think until there's no kind of explicit stimulus or explicit tightening, as we have sort of a normal monetary setting, that's when the th- things will be normal. It's not going to be a normal spring, no. Mm, okay. Well, interesting. And I and I guess a lot of you know a, a lot of the uncertainty also lies around how much more interest rate there is still to come with the RBA, right? Because you know until mm. there's the interest rate has hit its ceiling to a degree, and people have some certainty around that, um, the buyer demand is just not going to be there, which means the supply will just continue to sit on the market for longer and longer and longer. Um, in in that instance, and. And also, you know, if you think about the other the other thing, like I think we discussed about this a few, uh, probably a few episodes back as well. It's not because of people can't really afford it. It's because of the actual, yeah, I guess the 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 fear of how high the repayments could be. That's actually stopping mm. or scaring people in terms of say, mm. maybe I should do something now while the price hasn't really crashed to the next level to put my property on the market. That kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I think, you know, there's certainly a lot of elements there which could impact the supply and the number of listings that is to come this spring. Um, and we know typically spring is the peak selling season or one of the peak selling seasons, especially when it leads up to the Melbourne Cup Day, right? So I think mm, that's true. typically that's a super that's a super Saturday. <laughs> um, I wonder whether we're going to see a super Saturday this, uh, this time around, but, you know, time yeah. will tell. Uh, unless you, you know, you, you, it's a deceased estate or there's a divorce or something like that, all those D words, uh, I think all the discretionary buyers, another D word, uh, all <laughs> discretionary buyers are, are just going to wait for the market to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I meant discretionary Dude. sellers. Sorry. Yeah, discretionary sorry. sellers. Yeah. And it's an interesting um, logic as well, John. I've always pondered around this. I'm sorry, I'm going off topic a little bit again. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, people don't like to buy when it's in a falling market people <laughs> people just love to chase when it's on an uprising market we're seeing how much fomo we're seeing how much crazy people are gone for the last year but if you put if you put your logic aside at the and i guess you know the, the psychology behind that might be because people don't want to be putting money into something that will just lose money from day one that's kind of like the mental yeah. mentality to have right mm-hmm. but um but personally i think this is actually a great time to be yeah. to be very picky to be very choosy you know there's no there's literally no demand in the market now is actually a great time to go shopping if you are able to that is right if you can afford it now is actually a great time to go against the herd and actually take your oh. time be very picky for the a grades a grade type properties oh, 100% and and the, the psychology of course is that people uh, crave social confirmation that they've done the right thing and no one has the patience to wait three or four years for bigger gains to you know by going you know going against the herd yeah. uh, in the short term so yeah people want the social confirmation there's one of those feelings where you've uh, bought a property and by the time it settles you've made two percent people love that I love that. I'm no different. Like that, that's an awesome feeling. Um, but the big gains are, of course, when you buy in times like this rather mm. than in those those other sort of markets. So, and again, it ties back in into you know a longer term picture because if you're just thinking short term to say if I buy it today and then by the time it settles I'm going to lose two percent, why mm. would I be doing that, right? Yeah. But if you extrapolate it out, uh, you know maybe twelve to twenty four months when the Sydney market has kind of started leveling out and then when it starts to go back up again and probably in the next few years time 
that's that's when the, that's when the magic happens. You go, do you know what? That's actually a perfect timing for me to get in. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. all right. Uh, rentals. <laughs> just got to say, you, you got to risk. You got to risk being wrong. If you're going to go against the herd, you got to risk being wrong. And there aren't many of us that can feel confident doing that. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. That's very true, mate. Um, okay, well, let's have a let's quickly touch on the rentals as well. Um, mm. in, in that sense, so um, the um, the rentals at the moment are still going pretty strong, uh, as far as I can see with the um, uh, with the August data. So the rental rates have increased another 0.8% in August across the CoreLogic National Rental Index. Um, I think in May it was around 1%, which is when it kind of peaked. So there is a slight slowdown in terms of the rental mm. appreciation. However, I reckon, John, based on what you just told us <laughs> with the with the immigration <laughs> <laughs> limit that's being uplifted, um, such a big change, I reckon that's going to change the, the narrative again in another six to 12 months' time. So, mm. so the rent's going to continue to perform very, very strong. Uh, in that instance, and um, um, I think, I mean, the the, the narratives already there, so I, I don't think I'm going to extrapolate a bit more on that. But, John, have you got anything else to add on that rent side of things before? Uh, look, j- j- t- two quick observations. I mean, in terms of the, 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 the speed of rent increases, particularly in Sydney, that mm. seems to have peaked out. So even house price rent has actually, actually came off to two and a bit percent. Um, despite having very low vacancy rates. So for houses, rents are a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, they're not going up as much as they uh, were earlier. Uh, unit rents are still going up, and um, but even Sydney is flat. So I, I wonder, and it's hard to tell, uh, but I wonder if that explosive increase in uh, rentals is starting to peter out. It's hard to hard to say. It's too early, but the vacancy rates are still very low. And as you say, that if they're increasing migration, um, that might pull on that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so units are doing well. Houses are starting to flatten out, uh, but it also depends on where you are. One thing that came out this week, which I thought was really interesting, was uh, some data showing uh, over the last 10 years showing uh, CPI inflation versus rental growth over the ten, the ten year period, and actually, it shows that um, the rent increases have been less than half of CPI over the last uh, last decade. So, to, to give an example for Australia, so the cumulative CPI was uh, about twenty six percent. So, food and grocery prices up twenty six percent over the last ten years, but uh, rental increases for Australia are up eleven percent. And that's pretty similar across all the capitals, with the exception of the only place where rents went up more than uh, CPI was Hobart. Mm. Very interesting. So you know, as as in you know, like interest rates have come down during that that period of time, so there was less importance to have rents going up. So and you know, you could be positively geared and only have small rent increases. However, it's quite interesting to see that. Uh, as a consumer good, rents aren't going up as much. And I would put this down to, you know, there's a lot of criticism of negative gearing, but negative gearing is why Australia has relatively low rents and, and a relatively high proportion of uh, property investors. So, you know, when everyone's talking about abolishing uh, negative gearing, um, the other side of that would be that rents would go up. And so that's what's keeping a lid on rents. Got to pick your poison. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, that, no, that was a good point in terms of when you compare it to the accumulative CPI for the last 10 years, because I think to a degree, that just means rents has really underperformed in the last yeah. 10 years. And there's a lot of room for it to catch up, mm. isn't it? So, you know, if you're talking about across Australia, only 11% in comparison to the CPI, which is 26%, that's a differential of about almost 15%. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know. I haven't got the historical data with me, but to a certain degree, you know, that figure is going to have to catch up and maybe, and, and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm speculating a bit here, but I reckon in the last few months with the, with the, with the, uh, uprising and such a fierce uprising of rents at the moment as well, that's a sign of it starting to catch up at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. Look, if CPI, I mean, over the last 12 months, CPI has been, let's say between seven and 8% mm. and rent increases have been about, 15%. So um, it's definitely been a good year. I, I would say that it's probably going to continue for a decade or so. I mean, these I don't think it's just going to be one or two years where rents do better than CPI. I think it's, as you say, it's going to have to even out the previous decade. So, yeah, we'll, we'll watch uh, the, the rents are probably going to outstrip CPI, but we'll have to see. I think that if if that if that comes true, it's it will be a it will be a great rejoice from the property investors in that in that sense, so. <laughs> and that'll be a good win. But yeah, look, um, you know, with with the uh, we've lost two years during COVID by locking down our borders, and now you know we are opening up our borders again. We're letting people in. We need skilled immigrants. Um, we 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 desperately need workers here. So you know, all that indicators kind of show there's just going to be even stronger and stronger demand for dwellings, whether that's from a rental perspective to yeah. start off with, plus from a longer term and ownership perspective as well. So you know, they're they're going to be the government is going to be trying to make up for the two years that we lost in terms of the population mm. in the next few years. So. You know, I, I, yeah, I think, I think, marrying up the narrative, uh, the rent is only going to go up and up and up in terms of catching up to the CPI in the next few years. So, good very, good, very good point, actually, because I, I was speaking to a property manager yesterday who, and I asked him, uh, even though rents are rising very quickly now, are they back to pre-COVID levels? Mm. He said, no, they're not. They're still lower than pre-COVID levels. Wow, in, in, that's an, that's anecdotal, but um, yeah, but but we need to be careful when we talk about. Uh, we use the word crisis for, to describe everything these days, but we need to be careful when we use words like rental crisis. Uh, I don't know about that, but um, we might be walking, sleepwalking rather in that direction, but this, I don't think there's a rental crisis at the moment, mm. not in terms of prices. Okay. All right. Um, now that's, that's good coverage, mate, and that's a really good point. Um, anything else you want to cover today? Oh, mate, we've gone deep. I think we've covered everything. So I nothing think we have. else from me. I think we have. There's a few interesting, uh, certainly a few interesting topics that we touched on that uh, we normally don't cover. But um, no, John, thank you again. Um, and to our listeners, um, again, none of this is uh, financial investment advice. If you are looking for anything specific, please talk to your uh, advisors, uh, professionals. Uh, make sure that the, the advice that you get is tailored to your specific circumstances. Um, and until next time, I guess we will see you again in another episode of Spark Your Fire. John and David.